All they have to do is look into the Word of God and see what the Bible says in regards to these things, and they have the answer. But they're willing to set aside the Word of God to see what man's thoughts are on these things, because we don't want to be offensive, do we? And by setting aside the Word of God, you set aside the power that God has promised that will come forth through His Word. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Turn to your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be looking over the first five verses there today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. We're going to be looking at what Paul has deemed the man of sin. To get the context, we read from verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Father, we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word at this time, we pray. Lord, let it become alive in our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord, those things which we don't understand. Lord, may it grow us in our faith today. May you encourage us in the stand that we have in our faith in Jesus Christ. And if there are those who don't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that this day would be the day of their salvation. We ask, Lord, that you'd work in all these many different ways for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He says to us in verse 2 that we should not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, by these words, it appears to us that there were those in the church of Thessalonica who believed that the day of the Lord had already come upon them and that they were living perhaps during the time of great tribulation. They thought the Lord's day had come, and they had missed it. Paul had wrote about that with the rapture of the church, because they were concerned about those who had died 
preceding the day of the Lord. And the church was asking, well, what happens with them? And Paul went on to explain that those who are alive will be caught up into the air and those who are dead will be raised up and will meet together in the air to always be with the Lord. And so there was this concern about the day of the Lord. And there appears to be that there were those who came teaching that the Lord's day had already come. Because we know when the Lord's day comes, it also comes with wrath and judgment against this world that does not believe in him. Verse 3, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Paul here begins to tell us three things that have to take place before the coming of the day of the Lord. Three things. I'll give you two today, and we'll get into the third one next week. If you want to read ahead, you can find out point three for yourself. I would encourage you to do so, but I'm not going to give it away today. I'm only going to give you two, and we've just read them. The falling away and the man of sin being revealed. Two of the three things that have to take place before the coming of the day of the Lord. First, the falling away. In the Greek, that word is apostasy. It means to depart from the truth or to depart. Literally, it means to depart. And when we take the literal meaning and stretch it out into the context, to depart from the truth. First thing that's going to have to take place is there's going to be a departure from the truth. A falling away from the truth of the word of God. The belief in Jesus Christ. Today, I believe that there are those in the church who are falling away, going into that place of apostasy. Now, I don't run around saying, he's an apostate, and he's an apostate, and he's an apostate. I hate to to really condemn other men's ministries. I'm careful about what I say. Remember David, when he was anointed as king, but not yet taken the throne. Saul was still alive. Saul was anointed as king also. God had told Saul that, I'm going to rip away your kingdom, but that hadn't happened yet. David said that he would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So I'm very careful about who I would speak up or talk against. And I believe you should be also. That we go in some dangerous territories because if that child is truly a child of God, you're speaking against one of God's own. And also I know I'm not perfect. And there are those who no doubt speak about me. Talk about me and deem that if if I was John and I had the church, I would be able to do this and that and things would be a lot better, or a lot worse. I don't know what would be the case, but, you know, everybody always has their thoughts. But I just warn you, I try to be careful in regards to other men's ministry. When my mom was still living and, and their church was going through a great struggle and every time my mom and her gals would get together And I used to be the youth pastor of this church, so I had a legitimate concern for this fellowship. They would tell me all the inside stuff that was going on, and I was careful not to condemn. I was careful, you know, oftentimes I would say, yeah, I kind of know where he's coming from. I kind of understand that, and I would actually support the pastor at times, and I'd be careful not to condemn. But in our churches today, there are churches who are dealing with issues like marriage, why would a church be dealing issues of marriage? Well, they're not quite sure if marriages should be with one guy, one gal, or two gals, or two guys. And it's an issue today. 
divorce, premarital sex, homosexuality, abortions. And these are all signs of apostasy that is in the church today as they are departing from the word of God, a departure from the truth of the word of God. All they have to do is look into the word of God and see what the Bible says in regards to these things. And they have the answer, but they're willing to set aside the word of God to see what man's thoughts are on these things, because we don't want to be offensive, do we? And by setting aside the word of God, you set aside the power that God has promised that will come forth through his word. But there are also, we see an increase in the churches today that call themselves Christian churches as to saying that, well, perhaps Jesus isn't the only way. There's many ways to Christ, is what they are saying. So the ecumenical movement is trying to build bridges between different religions, basically saying, can't we all just get along? You know, you got your way, we got our way, let's just get along. That's a danger. It's an apostasy. The church is falling away. And so first thing that must take place is the departure from the truth. Now, I will also mention back in 1950, 1960, there was a pastor from New York who took this word apostasy that literally means to depart and connected it with the rapture of the church, saying the day of the Lord cannot come unless the departure takes place. And I I would agree that the rapture of the church will be a trigger of the day of the Lord, but I can't honestly say that this is directly connecting that Paul meant the rapture of the church. We do see the falling away, the apostasy in the church today. We see that danger also. We think about the rapture as the trigger of the day of the Lord, and we find that this world will be in chaos and calamity and in shock when that takes place. And it leads way to the revelation of the man of sin. The second thing on the list, first was the falling away. Number two, the man of sin is revealed. So the second thing that's necessary for the day, before the day of the Lord is the revelation of the Antichrist, the man of sin, the lawless one, the son of perdition, these names that Paul gave to him here in Second Thessalonians. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. We have those who have said the day has already arrived. Jesus said they can't know the time or date. We've had those who have said that's already happened. They come knocking on your door at your house and want to tell you that we're in the millennial reign of Christ right now because he came back in 1918, in the secret chambers. And again, it goes against the word of God because the word of God says when the Lord returns the second time, he'll come just as he left with eyes watching him. But scripture says it even more so. And every eye will see him, that they will look upon him whom they had pierced, speaking of the Jews there. But it will be something that the whole world will see. And it won't be in the hidden places. I personally believe that since the death of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that Satan has always had a man ready to indwell, to become that antichrist. Because Satan isn't all-knowing. What he knows is the word of God and what is prophesied there. Now he's going to be part of the, the process of prophecy is going to be revealed through his acts and works And one of the things that he'll do, and we'll learn more about this next week, he'll actually indwell that man of sin. That's why he's called the man of sin. That's why he's called the son of perdition. 
this Antichrist, this future coming man, whom if the Lord would return for his church today, this man is alive on this earth today. Satan will come and and fill and possess this man. Think about this. The rapture of the church takes place. Millions, if not a billion people exiting this earth, not to go to Hawaii to go on vacation, but to leave permanently to go to be with the Lord. Now we'll return to reign with the Lord during his millennial reign. But imagine the great exodus of believers and the chaos, the calamity, the shock that will be left in this world. During that time, one man will stand up and seem to have the answers that everyone is looking for. He'll bring peace and prosperity for a season. Prosperity can simply come with, if Lily and I were out of here, well, we're going to leave truck, car, house, all of our stuff. We're not taking it with us. So our neighbors who aren't believers, they could just come over and take whatever they want. And so there's going to be great prosperity initially. It'll be a free-for-all like we've seen in times of disasters and how looting will take place. And that's fine. We're not going to need it at that point anyways. But there will also, this guy will have a false peace. He will bring peace, but it'll be a false peace. And we'll get more into this next week. But in Daniel 9.27, it tells us, He, meaning the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now in Scripture, that one week stands for seven years. But in the middle of that week, he'll bring it into sacrifice and offerings. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. It's basically telling us the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel. Israel's going to get to build their temple. They want to do that. But right now there's a couple of Islamic sites on the, on the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock, is there in the Dome of the Spirits also, one that we don't hear too much about. But when you look over a city, I got a picture of the city of Jerusalem, and in the center of the city, there's this great golden dome on top of Temple Mount, and it has nothing to do with Jewish worship. It's, it's the worship of Islam there. And it's Islam who controls uh, the top of Temple Mount to this day. And a lot of the uh, terrorism since 2000 that has taken place there in Israel is a result of those people who desired to build the temple. And they showed up with one of their leaders with a couple of cornerstones in October of 2000 saying, we're going to build it. And just by bringing the cornerstones, just by exposing and letting them know that we're already getting the material ready and it belongs up on top of Temple Mount, the terrorism began to take place. It's still taking place to this day. Um, between Israel and the Palestinians and the Arabs, as we know. But one day, they'll be able to build the temple because the temple needs to be built for Scripture to be fulfilled. So that temple has to be built. And so I believe, personally, the rapture is a great trigger for all these events. When all the believers leave this earth, it's left in chaos. The Antichrist will have opportunity to stand, to make that peace. But it'll be a short-lived thing. In verse 4 it says, Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so there in that verse, we, there is no temple of God. It doesn't exist today. And so for this verse to be truth, means that third temple has to be built once again. 
they are, as I said, in the preparation process. Not only are they putting together the building materials, but they have there in Israel a thing called the Temple Institute. And they're preparing the Levites and the priests with their duties. They're making the garments of the high priest and, and all the implements and the materials. And I believe, as they have been for many years, looking for the temple treasuries, the Ark of the Covenant, that they could once again not only have the temple, but have the things, the Ark of the Covenant and all together there. This is the temple that Antichrist will come in and will sit as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He says he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Now, in our Bible, in the New King James, King James also, they capitalize this word God here. Now, in the Greek, there was no capital letters. And so I dug around and really couldn't determine exactly if this should have been a small cap or a big cap. And so they're taking the context again to determine what that should be. He's sitting as God in the temple of God. And so because he's, they're taking the context of the whole portion of Scripture, they're determining that this is meant to be theos in meaning deity referring to God the Father. As I was thinking about that this week, all that is called God. What do we call God today? We do. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Is this a reference to the triunity of the Godhead? Possibly all that is called God. But it also says all that is worshipped. And we do know that in this world, there are many gods who are worshipped. It's in our DNA. God has designed us to worship. There are many people who will be worshipping around their TV sets today. And they'll be worshipping in their, in their religious garments of blue and orange. <laughs> as they'll don on their religious apparels. And they'll be shouting phrases of worship, da bears, and stuff like that. I mean, it's just part of that. But there are some who are so extreme in their worship that they worship. And there are people who worship sports, as we know. Or they worship Hollywood and the idols that are there. Or worship success and money. We all worship something. But on this day, it tells us that all that is worship, all the many different gods are all the things that are worshiped in this world, this Antichrist will set himself up to be worshipped as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Every man worships something. There's a coming day, the coming of that Antichrist when he is revealed, where he will require that all man worships him. For us, there is only one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We know them as the triunity of the Godhead. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul closes out his letter by saying, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And so he includes in that closing letter the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. During the time of the revelation of the Antichrist, all on earth will worship him, in Revelation 13, 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So all will worship him. But concerning those who believe during the time of the great tribulation, Revelation tells us in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 4, it says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. 
Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the work of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. Another name for the Antichrist is the beast that's given to us there in Revelation. But they refused to worship him nor his image, and because of that, they are beheaded because they refuse to worship. Now in verse 5, Paul says, Do you remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, this is so significant because Paul is teaching on some pretty hard stuff. Would you agree? Talking about the end-time events is very difficult things. He taught this to a church that was three weeks old. He was sometime after three weeks. All we know from Acts chapter 17 is Paul was there for three Sabbaths. Then persecution arose against the church, and they sent Paul away. Now, he might have been there for a month. He might have been there for two months, but he wasn't there very long. But while he was with them, he taught about the coming of the day of the Lord. He taught about these things that we read about today. Because of this, it gives me courage to go ahead and teach it. Because in it, there is truth. And in truth, we can be set free. It is my prayer for our congregation that we would be a people who are not afraid to look into the Word of God regarding the Lord's soon return. There are many churches today that they just don't deal with that topic. It's a topic that's not dealt with in the pulpit because, well, you know, we can't really be sure, so we, we, we're just not going to teach it. But what they're creating is people that have no knowledge of the end-time events at all. And so I would pray that we would be a church that's not afraid to look into the Word of God regarding the Lord's return. It is also my prayer that we would look into Scripture and that as we look into them, it would encourage us to grow in our faith. And because we are growing in our faith, it would cause us to want to share with others. As I said, I'm going to leave you here in a cliffhanger. There's three reasons Paul gives us. It's, it's right there in the next few verses. You can read it and find out for yourselves. You can take a guess, see if you're right. But I'll give it to you next week. So I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger on this. The Antichrist will not be revealed, one, unless there's a falling away first. Apostasy. Falling away from the truth of God's word. I believe we're seeing that today. So our nation, our world is set up in a prime place for the revelation of the Antichrist. The day of the coming of the Lord won't happen until, one, the falling away. Number two, the Antichrist is revealed. So first, there has to be the falling away. Second, the Antichrist needs to be revealed. Third, next week, you'll have to wait. I'm not going to give it to you. I began by saying that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Paul shared with us in Romans that the first man, Adam, sinned, and thus sin led to death, and death has been spread to all men because all of sin falls short of the glory of God. But Paul also continues in Romans 5, to say this. Therefore, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, though one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. One man sinned, Adam sinned, and as a result of that, we are all children of sin. We have a sin nature. But Jesus came as the second Adam and took on the penalty of sin which is death. And he did that for us, for our behalf, that we could find life. And it's so important 
that you find that life while you are still living here today. There is an opportunity the Lord has given to each of us to believe in him. For some, that opportunity can perhaps come only once in a lifetime. For others, there are those who have sat in a church congregation for their whole life and never truly believed. They've heard the word preached but never responded to it. The necessity is to respond. Jesus said, he who believes in me shall have life. If you desire that life today, it's available to you through Jesus Christ, through faith in his name. Could have David come and close us out in a song. And as I stand down front, if you want prayer, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you want to rededicate your life back to the Lord today, I want to give you that opportunity before we dismiss. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd be with us and that we wouldn't be looking beyond events that are coming on later this day. But right now, Lord, help us to concentrate on what you would like to do in our hearts right now in this place. Lord Jesus, we've already testified where two or more are gathered in my name, that you are here in our midst. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work now as we stand together to close out and worship you. This day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. <laughs>